We are kicking off a brand new sermon series today called Strong, Courage Over Fear. And it's going to be working through the book of Joshua, looking at the life of this character we have in Scripture, Joshua. And I think it's a great time for a series like this to be talking about what it looks like to be strong, what it looks like to have courage in our culture today. How do we as followers of Jesus seek to live in a way that is courageous in the midst of our cultural context that we're in today? And so I'm excited to be spending six weeks together journeying through this book, looking at Joshua, looking at how he walks in courage and what you and I can learn from his life as we too seek to have courage in the Lord. Before we jump in today, let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your word that we have. Thank you that we can open it each and every week, that we can learn from what you have to teach us through it. Lord, I believe that you have brought each and every person here today for a reason. And so, Lord, as we hear your word, as we seek to follow you, I pray that you would speak to us and lead us, that you would guide us as to what it looks like in our own lives to put this into action, to live in light of the truth that you have given us. And so, Lord, may you give us open ears and soft hearts to hear what you have to say. And may nothing that I say get in the way of what you wish to declare, Lord, but may you be glorified here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of you know that at one point in my career, I had the opportunity to work at a fast food restaurant. And part of working at that fast food restaurant was actually helping open the restaurant. It was a brand new restaurant. Uh, The person who owned it was getting her second location. And so we were opening up a new restaurant. And as part of this, they brought in lots of people to help train the new employees because they had hired a whole bunch of us who had no idea what we were doing running a restaurant. And so they prepped us, they trained us for a couple weeks, they got us ready to open up this restaurant. And I remember when it opened, how unprepared we all felt. I remember, I think it was the second day, we had a drive through line that I kid you not took about 45 minutes to get through. One of the cars got so frustrated at waiting that he actually ran out of the drive through line, hitting another car, and drove up the new sod of an embankment, taking out a plant on his way out of the drive through And I remember sitting in the office that night, talking with my boss, and just feeling like we were ill-prepared. We had gone through training, we had done as much as we could to get ready for this, but it wasn't the same as actually opening, as actually dealing with real-life customers and have to make the food in our kitchen and get it out to the customers. And I just felt totally unprepared and ill-equipped as a whole for our restaurant to be doing what we were doing. Maybe you've felt like that sometime in your life before, too. Maybe you felt unprepared for a task that you were given. Maybe it was when you first came home from the hospital with your first child, And you wondered, how did they let us leave with this kid, and what are we going to do now that we're in charge of them? Or maybe it was the first time you stepped into a new role at your job, and you were excited for it, but you thought, I don't have the faintest idea as to how to do this job. How am I going to ever make this work? Most of us, at some time or another in our life, have felt unequipped or ill-prepared for where we have ended up being. And yet, what do we do with these feelings of inadequacy? How do we move forward when we feel inadequate? How do we be faithful to the Lord during those moments when we don't feel like we are prepared or like we have it all together? Well, I believe that the story of Joshua gives us some insight into what we do with this. And so we're going to jump into Joshua chapter 1, starting right at the beginning of this book. And to give you a little bit of background, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, the previous book to Joshua is Deuteronomy which has walked through the end of Moses' life 
Joshua has been set up to succeed Moses, and we see that there's going to be a transition from Deuteronomy to Joshua here in the first chapter as we watch what the Lord does with this new leader. So starting in Joshua chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This passage of scripture, I remember when I was in seminary taking an Old Testament class from a professor, Dr. Richard Hess. He said that this passage, verses 1 through 9, are the most important in the entire book of Joshua. Because they really lay the groundwork for what we're going to see happen They set up Joshua for success for where the Lord is leading. And so it is important that we start here as well and walk through what it is that's happening here as we see the power shift from Moses to Joshua, as we see the leadership move from one faithful servant of the Lord to the next and what this means for the people of Israel and what it means for you and I as followers of the Lord as well. So it starts here in verse 1 giving an introduction of sort after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. So Moses had been the one who had led Israel out of Egypt as God had given him the instructions to go to Pharaoh and to demand that he let the people of Israel go. The Lord faithfully moved through Moses' life. But Moses wasn't without flaw. He wasn't without times when he fell short of what God had asked him to do. And because of one of these times when he disobeyed God, He was not permitted to be able to enter into the promised land. The Lord had told him as a consequence for his disobedience, he would not be the one who would lead the Israelites into the promised land. You see, when God had called the people out of Egypt, he had told them that he had set a land aside for them. In fact, that land was actually talked about way back in Genesis chapter 15 as the Lord had given um, Abraham instructions about what he was going to do and the great nation he was going to make his people into that he had this land set aside for his people. And so as Israel comes out of Egypt, as Moses leads them, they're moving toward this land that God has promised to them. And Moses, because of his disobedience, got to climb up a mountain and got to see the promised land, but didn't get to go in. And he knew that he was not the one who would lead Israel in, but that it would be Joshua. 
So this introduction serves as a a way that the author ties the book of Deuteronomy to the book of Joshua, transitions us from Moses' leadership to now Joshua's leadership, and ties up the life of Moses and his faithfulness to the Lord. The title that uses here for Moses, the servant of the Lord, shows that even though he had difficulties, even though he had times where perhaps he disobeyed, that he was still a servant of the Lord and that he walked closely with the Lord. And yet Joshua, all we really know about him is these two things. One, that he comes from the line of Nun, he's the son of Nun, and that he was Moses' assistant. So he was in a role of being an assistant to the leader. So as we move forward, that's what we know about Joshua. And yet the Lord speaks here in the beginning of this chapter and commissions Joshua in his leadership of Israel as he transitions him from an assistant role to a leadership role. Picking up in verse 2, this is what the Lord says to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them, the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised Moses. From the wilderness of Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." So the Lord transitions Israel from under the leadership of Moses to under the leadership of Joshua. And he moves Joshua into this leadership position following the death of Moses. And he begins with this exhortation to Joshua of what he's going to do, that he is going to be the one to lead God's people, Israel, into the promised land. Like I said, back in Genesis 15, we saw God give this promise to Abraham when he said, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And he said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And this land that he was talking about, it is this promised land that they're looking at going into. The Lord has been faithful to what he has told Abraham, what he told Moses, what he's told Joshua, that he will take the people of Israel into the promised land. Now, they haven't got there yet because Israel has chosen to be disobedient at times, to go away from the path that the Lord has given them, to not trust in the Lord's goodness, in the Lord's protection, and the Lord's provision. In fact, they were here before, right up at the promised land, ready to go in. And as spies went in and checked out the land, they came back and they reported to Moses, the people are too strong, they're too great, and we can't conquer them. And when the people chose to follow those reports rather than God's calling, saying, I will provide for you, I will help you conquer them, the consequence was that the people of Israel had to wander in the desert for 40 years. Because of their disobedience, because of their lack of trust in the Lord's provision, that whole generation ended up not getting to see the fulfillment of the Lord's promise that he had desired to bring into fruition. But the beauty of this is even when there's disobedience, even when there's times when people fall short of following God, that doesn't change God's overall faithfulness to his word. That God is still faithful to the people of Israel, that he is going to lead them into the promised land. And so we're seeing that come around here again with Joshua, as the Lord is going to fulfill his promise through Joshua's leading of taking his people into the promised land. But the Lord wants to remind Joshua, as we see in verse 3, that it's not because of Joshua. It's not because of the people of Israel that this is going to occur. It's not by their work, but it's by the Lord's provision. And this theme runs throughout Scripture. We see this narrative throughout Scripture time and time again that it's not because of what we do. It's not because of our strength. 
but it's because of who God is and his faithfulness to his people. We ultimately see this fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As Christ comes and dies for our sins, it's not because we're good enough, it's not because we've lived an upright life that we're able to receive the grace of God, but it's all because of what Christ did. It's all because of what he accomplished on the cross and in his grace, that free grace, he gives it to us. And so this theme throughout Scripture, that's not by our might, that's not by our accomplishments or our goodness, that we are where we are, that we get to receive the promises of the Lord. We see it here in the book of Joshua, and we ultimately see it fulfilled in Christ. Well, verse 4 moves to kind of a practical instructions of what the land is that the Lord is giving to Joshua and the Israelites, as the Lord maps out kind of these markers of where it will be. From the river Euphrates to the sea to the wilderness, he's kind of drawing him this map of what the territory will look like that Israel will have. That even though they've disobeyed before, that this land has still been set aside for them. The Lord has not given up on his plan of bringing his people into the promised land. The Lord has called Joshua to leadership. He's outlined the area that he's going to give to Israel, and he's given Joshua instructions to lead this charge. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a lot to me. Someone who is simply Moses' assistant is now in charge of leading this great expansive military campaign to go and to conquer these nations in their land, to take what the Lord has promised. Talk about feeling inadequate. Talk about feeling like you don't have the skills or perhaps the information or the knowledge that you need. And yet that's the beauty of how the Lord works is that the Lord time and time again in Scripture and in our lives uses people who are inadequate, who are faithful to Him, who are willing to be obedient to Him, and yet are inadequate in their own strength. So while Joshua probably felt inadequate, while he probably felt perhaps ill-equipped to lead this charge, the Lord is leading him. And watch how the Lord instructs him and how the Lord assures him that he is the one leading, picking up in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord continues in these instructions to Joshua. He doesn't just tell Joshua, I'm going to lead you to take the people into the promised land. You're going to be the one who leads them and, and go and do that, Joshua. But he lets him know that Joshua is not going in his strength. He's not going in his might, but that the Lord is going with him. I love how the Lord paints this picture of his strength for Joshua as he starts by saying that no one will be able to stand against him. What a promise that the Lord gives him. No one will be able to stand against Joshua because the Lord will be with him just as the Lord was with Moses. 
What a beautiful segue that we see here from the life of Moses, who was a faithful follower of the Lord, who moved in mighty ways, who got to be up on the mountaintop with the Lord and would come down glowing from being in the presence of God, to now his assistant Joshua, who is told that he will have the Lord with him in the same way that the Lord was with Moses. Think about the implications of this statement. Think about the ways that the Lord was with Moses. Moses, who was born during a mass genocide as babies were being killed, and as his mom protected him and then put him in the basket to have Pharaoh's daughter pull him out from the water and raise him in the palace as the Lord was with him, to when he has to flee from Egypt and he ends up in the desert and the Lord provides for him. He ends up shepherding for 40 years and the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him as he shows up in a burning bush leading him to go back to Egypt. The Lord continues to be with him as he gives him the words to say in front of Pharaoh as he calls Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. The Lord time and time shows up in that story as the Israelites are eventually freed and leave Egypt. The Lord is with him as they find themselves up against the Red Sea with the Egyptians closing in from behind, wondering where they're going to go, and yet God parts the Red Sea as he is with Moses and the Israelites. He's with them as they don't have food in the desert, and he gives them manna to eat and quail from heaven, as he provides water out of the rocks for Moses and the Israelites, and as he leads him and instructs him, even as the Lord protects Moses from rebellions that rise up, even to the point where one family Korah, as they rebel against Moses, the ground opens up and swallows them whole. You see, When the Lord tells Joshua that he will be with him as he was with Moses, that's not just a small statement because the Lord was with Moses all throughout his life, providing for him time and time again, giving him the protection he needed, giving him the food he needed, giving him the wisdom he needed. The Lord was with him throughout his life. So the Lord here tells Joshua, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. All those ways in which I carried Moses, all those ways in which I provided for him and instructed him and guided him and helped him to lead my people, I'm going to be with you in those same ways. What a comforting promise for Joshua, as he probably felt inadequate, to know that the Lord would be with him every step of the way. And not only a one-time thing, because the Lord tells him that I will not leave you or forsake you, giving this continuous idea that the Lord will continue to be with Joshua, not just in this one endeavor as they move into the promised land, but time and time again the Lord will be with Joshua. And then right there in verse 6, we get that first glimpse, that promise, that calling for Joshua to be strong and courageous in the Lord. And we're all pretty familiar with that verse, be strong and courageous. And yet, this here in Joshua was not the first time that we saw that phrase uttered. That phrase first came in Deuteronomy 31, 1 through 7, as Moses was encouraging the Israelites, as he knew his death was coming, as he knew he was going to be handing over the leadership of the Israelites to Joshua. Moses encouraged the people of Israel as a whole that they would be strong and courageous that they would trust in the Lord, that they would lean upon the Lord, and that they would know that the Lord would continue to lead them, even without Moses there, even without Moses going before them and interceding on their behalf before the Lord, that the Lord would be with them and that they were to be strong and courageous. 
But both these statements, the one in Deuteronomy, the one in Joshua, the strength and the courage doesn't come from the people of Israel's own strength. It doesn't come from Joshua's own strength. It comes from the strength of the Lord. You see, walking in the path of the Lord, seeking after Him with our lives, we can find strength and courage, knowing that He will be with us. If we're blazing our own path, doing our own thing, seeking to live our lives the way we think is best, then we can't have that affirmation knowing that the Lord will be with us, that we can have strength and courage because we are not in His will. But if we are in His will, if we are walking in His ways, we can know that the Lord will give us strength and courage. This charge that Joshua receives doesn't come from another human like it did for the Israelites when Moses gave it to them. But this time it comes from the Lord, telling him that he is to be strong and courageous because the Lord is faithful. In verse 7, we see him repeat it once again. He tells him again, only be strong and courageous. But this time he follows it up with giving him some more information about how that plays out in his life as it ties directly to walking in the law of the Lord. You see, the Lord is gracious to give us his instructions, his words to live by, his words to raise our kids by, to interact with our neighbors with, to go to work and live by. We are fortunate to have the word of the Lord. And the Lord has given his word to the people of Israel and instructed them how they too are to live during this time. So he's letting Joshua know that he is to be strong and courageous and he is to walk in the way of the law that the Lord has given him. If you look at the second half of verse 7, the Lord says to Joshua, Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. I was thinking about when people go hiking and how there's usually a, a proper trail to go on. And if you stay on the trail when you're hiking, chances are you won't get lost. But it's when people go off the path, it's when they veer a different direction or they think they see a shortcut, that that's when people get lost. In fact, I was reading one report that analyzed how people get lost when they go hiking and what causes it. It found that 47% of the people who got lost when they were hiking happened because they wandered off the trail. You see, if we stay on the path the Lord has provided for us, adhering to his word, submitting ourselves beneath his word, then it will go well for us. But it's when we try to do things on our own, it's when we think that we know better than the Lord, that it does not go as well, that we find ourselves veering off the path that the Lord has given us. God has given us the best way for our lives, and it's staying on his path. He has shown us to not turn to the left or to the right and these are the instructions that we see given to Joshua here as well. The Lord roots this, though, in the book of the law in verse 8, instructs Joshua to not let it depart from his mouth. Not only that it can instruct him further, but that he is to meditate on it day and night. It raises the question of how do you view Scripture in your life? Do you hold Scripture in high regard? Do you seek to meditate upon Scripture day and night? You seek to ensure that the word of God is planted deep within your heart where you know what the Lord desires of you. How would your life look different if perhaps you took seriously the word of the Lord, if you took this attitude towards Scripture to not let it depart from you, to seek to stay on the path the Lord has given us in his word? I believe that when we do that, we will find that the Lord is with us in mighty ways, that we will find 
that the Lord is near to us when we are near to his word. I love that the Lord puts this in here for Joshua, that he reminds him of the importance of a reverence for his word. He tells him in verse 8, the second half, that if he does this, if he follows his word, if he is careful to stay to the path the Lord has given him, that he will make his way prosperous, and then he will have good success. You see, the path for success, the plan for victory for Joshua and Israel isn't having the fiercest soldiers. It's not having the best swords and shields or the most people or the most effective battle plan. It is to meditate upon the word of the Lord. That's different than any other battle plan you'd ever hear. Any other military approach would be to train your people well to get the best equipment to get the most soldiers before you go into battle. And yet the Lord instructs Joshua, stay near to my word, meditate upon it, and then you will have success. Our section closes with one final emphasis on the Lord's words to be strong and courageous, as once again there's a third call for Joshua to be strong and courageous. The repetition that we see here shows the importance of what he's saying to the Lord. Except this time the Lord follows it up with, do not be dismayed and do not be frightened, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It closes out with this strong and courageous, this Hebrew word for strong and courageous. It's, it's an idea of being confident in the Lord. And the courageous, it's to be alert. It's to be physically and mentally established to fortify and harden oneself so you may have the strength for what is coming. And so the Lord calls Joshua to this. But he expands upon what means this time by telling him to not be frightened. The idea of frightened is to tremble, to feel dread. So he's telling Joshua, don't tremble, don't feel dread at what is to come. Don't be dismayed, which is to be shattered or to be taken aback. Stand firm, be confident. But not because of Joshua. Not because of the Israelites who are with you but because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love that the end of our section ties up with that phrase. It is that reminder, once again, nailing home the idea that our strength does not come from us. Our strength is not because of our abilities or our knowledge or our greatness. Joshua's ability to lead Israel into the promised land doesn't come from his strength or from his wisdom or from having been Moses' assistant but it comes from the Lord because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a beautiful passage to set up this book of Joshua and to watch the Lord fulfill his promises to his people. So what do we do with this? How do we learn from it in our lives? Well, I think first and foremost, we must remember that the Lord is faithful. There's a classic story of a man, poor Jack, who was out on a jog, and as he passed the cliff, he got a little too close to the edge. Maybe you've heard this, but he suddenly found himself falling over the edge, and on his way down, he managed to grab a single branch, nearly yanking it out of the cliff. When he caught his breath and realized what a terrible situation he found himself in, he couldn't get up and he couldn't let go of the branch, so he began to scream, Hello up there! Can anyone hear me? And in a moment, a voice returned, Jack, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. I'm down here. I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? Yes, but who are you and where are you? I'm the Lord, Jack. I'm everywhere. The Lord? You mean God? That's me. God, help me. I promise that if you get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person. I'll serve you the rest of my life. 
Easy on the promises, Jack. First, let's get you down, and then we can discuss those. I'll do anything, Lord. Just tell me what to do. Okay? Let go of the branch. What? I said, let go of the branch. Just trust me and let go. There was a long pause as Jack thought about the offer. A moment, though, Jack let out a loud yell, Hello, hello, is anyone else up there? You see, so often, this is how we are in life. We find it hard to trust God. We can speak about it. We can say, yes, we trust the Lord. And yet, when the time comes where we need to put our words into action, we need to actually trust the Lord's faithfulness, trust the Lord's promises in Scripture, and believe that the Lord is faithful, it can be hard to let go of that branch. And yet, we have seen throughout Scripture the faithfulness of the Lord. We have seen his fulfillment of his promises time and time again. And yet sometimes it's still hard to trust in his faithfulness. And yet this book of Joshua will give us a picture of the Lord's faithfulness that we can trust upon, that we can build our faith upon knowing that God is faithful, that he cares for you, and that when you follow him, he will be there to provide for you. So we must start by moving towards remembering the Lord's faithfulness, to seek to build a trust in the Lord and in his faithfulness to his word. And we can do that by making sure that we don't depart from his word. The instructions given to Joshua right there are given to us as well. That we don't depart from the Lord's word. And as we do that, as we put that into action, we will see his faithfulness. Martin Luther said, I have observed that all the heresies and errors have arisen not from Scripture's own plain statements, but when the plainness of statements is ignored and men follow the scholastic arguments of their own brains. You see, far too often, people depart from the Word of God because they think that they know best. They think that their way is better than the Lord's way. They think that Scripture is outdated and doesn't speak to our time that we're in today. This is not a new phenomenon. We see it throughout Scripture as well. Just think about the people who departed from the Word of the Lord throughout Scripture. You have Adam and Eve departing from God's instructions right away. You have Cain departing from the Lord's warning of what he is to do. You have Israel's idolatry and their refusal to enter the promised land when the Lord instructs them. And I could go on and on and on. All of the issues and the times that people get themselves into sin when people walk away from the Lord, when entire nations walk away from the Lord, they all stem from thinking that their way is better than the Lord's way, that what they need is better than what the Lord is giving them. And so we must seek to not depart from the Word. We must put aside a soft approach to the Word of God and Christianity that is becoming more and more rampant in our generation. And we must seek to adhere closely to what the Lord tells us to do and how we are to live our lives, biblically, theologically grounded in the truth of Scripture. The Lord is clear throughout Scripture that if we follow Jesus, that we are to walk in his words, that we are to follow his instructions that we see throughout Scripture, that we are to trust the word of the Lord and that we are to not depart from it, but to cling to it. And it's that idea of putting ourselves in submission to the word of the Lord. That there will be times when you read something in Scripture and you say, that just doesn't sit right with me. Or I'm not sure I agree with that. 
And yet, that's when we say, but the Lord's word comes above our thoughts. And we submit ourselves to the word of the Lord, trusting that God's ways are the best ways, trusting that God's word is true, and that we must be wrong in that moment. And so we practice submission. And that is how we do not depart from the word of the Lord and we build our trust in his faithfulness. We must be men and women who seek to trust the Lord as we follow after him. I was thinking about when kids get splinters in their fingers. Who here has ever got a splinter in their finger and had to have someone else help them get it out? Splinters hurt a ton. I remember when I was a kid, I would get splinters in my finger and I would go to my dad who would help me get them out. And I get to do the same thing for my kids today. And yet when kids, when I as a child or my kids come to me and needing a splinter out, it hurts. And when you start to try to get it out, almost always kids will pull their hand back and say, no, I'm okay, actually. I don't really want you to get it out. That's hurting too much. Because to get a splinter out, to do it well, you have to dig a little bit. You have to get under the skin a little bit and be able to grab that splinter and pull it out. And yet, if you trust the one who is getting your splinter out, if you're willing to trust that they know best, when they get that splinter out, it's amazing how quickly your finger feels better, how quickly it starts to heal, and you go on and you don't even really think about that splinter. And yet, if you don't remove it, it festers under the skin and it hurts more and more and it becomes red and inflamed. How true is that as well with the Lord? Sometimes we may feel that what he's calling us to isn't fun or it hurts a little bit. And so sometimes we pull back and we say, no, I'm good, Lord. I don't want to go there. And yet if we would trust the Lord, trust his goodness and trust his plan, in the end, it will work out beautifully. When the people of Israel trusted the Lord, even leading them into battles that there's no way on paper they should have won, it worked out beautifully. When they didn't trust the Lord and they tried to do it their own way, they found themselves wandering in the desert for 40 years, not getting to enter the promised land that the Lord had for them. So we must build that trust in the Lord, moving forward, trusting in his promises, depending our lives upon him and knowing that he is good and that he loves us and is faithful to us. You see, we have been given such a gift being able to look back and reflect upon these stories in Scripture, to be able to reflect upon the Lord's leading and faithfulness, to allow these stories to build a deep trust within us and a deep faith within us of the goodness of God. What a gift that is for us. And so as we look back on the life of Joshua, as we spend these next six weeks looking at how the Lord journeys with him, how the Lord is faithful to the words we just read today to not depart from Joshua, but to guide him and to lead him, to give him strength and courage. May we too find that we are strengthened and that we have a deeper courage and faith in the Lord because we know that he is with us.